All right. I'm sorry if you were having a deep discussion. <laughs> um, oh, quick announcement. If you are a youth or in high school, um, there is Sunday school today. So you can head over now if you're in high school. Or if you still feel young at heart and want to spend time with them. <laughs> Just kidding. Don't go over there. <laughs> Um, oh, I have one more uh, question. Is the person cooking for the men's breakfast in here? <laughs> oh, my dad, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it is important to know that before you go. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sure it's Sean. I'm sure Sean's cooking. And if you've been to Saturday night service, you want to go to the men's breakfast. He makes good food. Um, so this morning we're in uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Is this loud? Are we good? Um, if any of you were here during first service last week, we tried the mic thing. I took it off while I was praying. It didn't work. Um, but it's important that we get it right because Joe is teaching next week and we have to make sure it's perfect for him. So I'm the, the guinea pig. Um, so we're starting Hebrews this week. We're in Hebrews chapter 1. For the next couple of months, we're going to be going through the book of Hebrews. Um, so I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to get into Hebrews chapter 1. If you don't know where Hebrews is, um, it's toward the back of the Bible. Um, so Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for bringing us here um, to learn more about um, your greatness. As we get into Hebrews chapter 1, Lord, we, we learn how great you truly are, and, and why it is so important that we have a relationship with you, that it's that it's about being more than being called a Christian, but truly having a relationship with you. So I just pray that you would open our hearts this morning to be ready to live and invite you in, Father, that, that we have this great desire just to, to come before the Lord for all of our decisions. So I just pray that you would open our heart and our ears this morning um, as, we, as we hear what you want to, to say to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so before we get into to Hebrews chapter 1, um, I, I want to do a little quiz. Um, I want to look at a few famous men throughout history. Um, the, the world's been full of famous men, men, men that have changed the, the timeline of history. The, the course of history is changed by these people. And, and I thought it would be fun to make it a, a small quiz of, of who are they and, and see how many we can guess. So, so here is that list of men. Do we know who the top left is? We're going to start top left and go down to the bottom right. So starting at the top left, do we know who that is? It's Aristotle. Not going to lie, that's a statue of Aristotle. If you're like, wow, he was very white, that's not him. So that's a tough one because it's not a real photo. Does anybody know who the second one is? It's Plato. <laughs> We're getting closer. Do we know the third one? Caesar. Maybe not. No. You guys, you keep guessing Caesar? Yeah, well, I actually, hold on, I lied. Well, let's start over. We're starting all over. The second one is Da Vinci. I just lied to you all. You're, man, I, so I edited this list this morning. You might know why. But, so it got kind of changed. The second one is Da Vinci. So who is the third one? Caesar. No, but if you keep guessing Caesar, you're going to be right. <laughs> the third one is Alexander. 
the great. Here's your opportunity. Who's the fourth one? Yes, yes, yes. That is Julius Caesar. Do we know who the fifth one is? Yeah. The sixth one, bottom left. Yep. Next one. Yes. The middle one on the bottom. MacArthur? It is MacArthur. Which, when I was putting this together, I was like, we're going to have guesses between MacArthur and Forrest Gump. So I'm glad we heard MacArthur. <laughs> what about the fourth one on the bottom? Yeah, Martin Luther. And then what about the last one? Ah, I knew you guys were going to think it's Aaron. It's actually Duck Dynasty. No, it really is Aaron. <laughs> See, Aaron wasn't on the list last night, and somebody said, you know what would make this so much funnier? Is if Aaron was on the list. <laughs> so, so we have this first list. These are um, famous people who changed history. Um, Aaron might not be world famous, but, but in here, most of you knew who Aaron was. He's famous in this building. So I have a second list. Oh, did this just change? All right. <laughs> Good. Um, I have a second list of famous people. Famous people who we might not want to say, oh, I, man, I'm so glad they're famous. They're, they're famous for a different reason. So let's go over that list. A little different list. Does anybody know who the top left is? Again, not an accurate photo. It is Genghis Khan. Does anybody know who the second one is? This one hasn't been gone in any of the services yet. It's not Tom. <laughs> It's Ivan the Terrible. What about the next one? Yeah. What about the next one? Yeah. And again, here's another one nobody's gotten yet. Man, that has been the guess the entire time. We've had everybody. Does anybody have another guess other than Mao Zedong? Kim Jong Il. No. It, it is Pol Pot. And then the last two. Middle one. And the last one. Yes. Awesome. So it's funny, last night we went through this list. So, so this group is a little different than the first. Um, and after the service, everybody, like I had multiple people come up to me and let me know who else should be on this list. I was like, yeah, that would be funny, but it would be my last sermon. Um, so, so there's a difference between this two, the two group of men that we just showed. They're all similar in one way. They were all famous. They're all known, right? You look at their pictures, and a lot of you are able to recognize, oh, that is that person. They were famous for this reason. Or once we said the name, you'd say, oh, they're, they're famous because of that. You, you recognize their name. They're famous people for different reasons. Though. The first and the second list are completely different. Right, the, the first group, the, the, the group that includes George Washington and Martin Luther King, the, they were um, about serving humanity, putting others first. That's what they were famous for, is about making sure other people were put first. And then that second group of people, you're looking at people who abuse society, uh, people that were abusing humanity, that were putting themselves first. It was all about them. What one group we would consider heroes, and then we have the other group who would be considered evil or cruel. Um, um, people that were only focused on their own desires and then at the same time hurting other people while getting the desires of their heart. But there is a common thread among these people. 
right? You, you read a history book and you can find any of them in a history book and then read about how they left their mark on human history. I know some of you are going to go home and you're going to look up Pol Pot and start reading about him. He, he did leave a mark on human history. And, and then if I went in this room and I said, okay, who is the most famous man in human history? There would be a lot of different answers, right? There, there's um, over 100 people in here and I guarantee there'd probably be 100 answers, of, oh, well, this guy is the most famous. Some of you would say a founding father. Some of you would say uh, maybe somebody more recent or maybe somebody 2,000 years ago. Or, or maybe you would say um, Napoleon Bonaparte was the most, like, you, everybody would come up with probably a different answer. Some of you would be like, you want to know the most famous person in human history? I've been watching a lot of Netflix lately, and The Rock is in every movie. <laughs> You'd be like, he has got to be the most famous guy. Um, like if I put a picture of the rock, everybody knows who he is. So, so if I said, well, who's the most famous? You, there'd be a lot of different answers in this room. But then if I change the question up and I said, who is the most influential man in the world? There'd probably be very few answers. And, and the most popular answer would be Jesus. Um, in, in, during the 2000 election campaign, George W. Bush was asked this question. Who, who is the most influential man in history? And his answer was Jesus Christ. And then, and then George Bush went on to share his own story um, about his relationship with Jesus and how he was his hero and his role model. Um, why is Jesus the most influential man? Why, why is he really the only answer to this question? Well, because 2023 years ago, we're in the year 2023, which signifies what? It wasn't the birth of George Washington. It wasn't um, some great... Uh, takeover by Napoleon. It wasn't um, the, the birth of a kingdom. Like, it was Jesus. That, it was the birth of Jesus that split history, divided history. 2,023 years ago was the birth of Jesus. Um, historical records fall into two categories, right? One's known as Common Era, or CE, and then before Common Era, BCE. It used to be known as B.C. before Christ, or A.D., which is Anno Domini, which is Latin, translated as the year of the Lord or speaking of every year since the birth of Christ. So you want to talk about who is the most influential man in history. Jesus literally split history. And then he's the most popular man to ever step foot on the planet. You want to talk about who is the most famous? Everybody knows Jesus. He is the most influential, most popular, had the greatest impact on society. But Scripture reaffirms that Jesus wasn't just a great man. This wasn't about, oh, who is the greatest man? Jesus is beyond these men. He's superior to all things. He is the great high priest, interceding for humanity before the throne of God. So, like, I I didn't feel right putting him on that list of people because he is beyond those men. Um, The writer of Hebrews got... um, caught on to this theme of Jesus being greater and, and confirmed that Jesus is the central core of the Christian faith, the, the central core of our belief. He is everything because without him at the center, it all falls apart. Jesus is the core. Jesus himself said, I am the way, indicating a unique and exclusive vessel through which we must pass to get to the Father. He's like, I am the only way. I'm not on the list of the other men. I'm not part of history. I am history. He also said, I am the door. Jesus knew his role as the perfect sacrifice. He, he knew that his, his job was to be fully obedient to his mission because he was to take on the sin of the world. He knew he was the door. 
So let's jump into Hebrews chapter 1 this morning. If you don't know where it is, it's after First and Second Timothy. You go to Titus, Philemon, and then you get to Hebrews before James. Um, we're going to read about how Jesus is truly above all. Does anybody want to read Hebrews chapter 1? It's 14 verses. It's not too bad. All right, great. The whole chapter? Yeah, yeah, you could. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And when, and when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire? But of the Son, he says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is a scepter of his kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy companions. And... Thou, Lord, in the beginning didst lay the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. They will perish, but thou remain, and they will all become old as a garment, and as a mantle you will roll them up. As a garment they will also be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Thank you. Thank you. So I think it's important before we get into this study of Hebrews, because we're going to be in Hebrews for a couple months here, um, I think it's important that we understand, okay, who wrote the book of Hebrews? What well, was it Paul? Was it Peter? Was it Apollos? James? Was it somebody else? Um, there's a lot of um, indeci uh, indecision between who wrote it. There's a lot of differences of opinion on who wrote Hebrews. The earliest statement um, on the authorship of Hebrews was Clement of Alexandria, right, wrote that Paul wrote it in Hebrew and Luke translated it in Greek. Perhaps the majority of Bible teachers and commentators believe that the Apostle Paul wrote Hebrews, right, without attaching his name to it. Um, but, but not everybody agrees. There's a lot of Bible scholars who believe it was written by other people and that it was actually unlikely written by Paul. John Calvin's take was this, the manner of teaching and style sufficiently shows that Paul was not the author, and the writer himself confesses in the second chapter in Hebrews 2.3 that he was one of the disciples of the apostles, which is wholly different from the way in which Paul spoke of himself. So there's these small clues that people picked out, and they, they tried to pin one, oh, I think it was that person. Um, Martin Luther also didn't believe that it was Paul. Martin Luther believed that Apollos wrote the book of Hebrews, right? Because in Acts, it tells us that uh, Apollos was eloquent and had a strong command of the Old Testament. That's in Acts 18.24. So, so Martin Luther had this disagreement that Paul wrote it. 
And then Adolf Harnack um, thought Priscilla, this was a very interesting take, thought Priscilla wrote it with her husband Aquila, right? And, and the reason that the author is anonymous is because it would be controversial to have a female um, write Hebrews, so, so that it was never released who the author was. But when the, um, but when the writer of Hebrews writes of himself in Hebrews 11.32, the masculine grammar of the passage argues against the idea that a woman wrote the letter. So all that to say, who wrote Hebrews? I don't know. You're not, you're not going to find, like, you could say, oh, I, I think this. Yeah, you go over down rabbit holes and try to figure it out. You're going to come up with an opinion, and everybody else is going to have an opinion. So at the end of the day, do we really know who wrote Hebrews? Not really. Um, there's a lot of debate over it, but nobody knows for sure. Does it really matter? Not necessarily. Because what we do know is we know who Hebrews was written to, and we know what the message of Hebrews was. What, what message was the author trying to share? Um, so as we spend the next couple of weeks looking at the book, I think it's important that we know the title Hebrews, who was the book written to? It was written to the Hebrews. But what is a Hebrew? That's what um, we're going to figure out first. Who were the Hebrews? A Hebrew is a descendant of Abraham, also called a Jew. Their homeland is the land of Israel, Jerusalem, the capital city. The Bible records the history of the Jews, right? Like we read a lot about the history of the Israelites and the Jews. And, and what, what do we read about them? It's not always good. It's not like, oh, here's all of the good things about the, the Hebrews. No, it's about the good and the bad, their trials and their downfalls and their ups and and we read all about their struggles and their triumphs. And like, man, we read everything about the Hebrews. Um, so, so the Hebrews were at the center of everything then. And, and has that changed now? You, you turn on the TV. I don't know how many of you watch the news, but you turn on the news and it's like, man, you can always find something on about Israel. You can always find news happening about Israel, um, which is funny because really Israel is really small. Like compared to the rest of the world, Israel, it's like, why would that be the center of attention when it's just little teeny country? Um, in, the first, in the first service, I said um, that we don't hear about some other countries such as Chad. Like, and it's probably about the same size. I was wrong. I look like an idiot. <laughs> Chad is way bigger than Israel. Um, so, so then after the service, I was like, all right, I got to find something more comparable. So Israel is about the same size as El Salvador. It's like pretty much directly um, identical in size. How often do we see El Salvador on the news? Almost never. Like I don't, I've never flipped on the, the news and been like, oh, we're covering a story coming out of El Salvador, unless it's like a hurricane or something. Um, but, but truth is, we don't see that much about a lot of these other countries, and a lot of them are larger but Israel is the center of attention. Um, to, to give you an example, maybe some of you are like, oh, well, how big is El Salvador? Um, if you've ever been to Vermont, Israel is a little smaller than Vermont. So how often is Vermont the center of world attention? <laughs> like, nothing happens there. Um, <laughs> it's not true. Some, somebody from Vermont's about to leave. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I love Vermont. It's great. Um, the cheese, yeah, the cheese in Vermont is good. Um, but so, so here you have Israel, this small country is at the center of world attention. Why? Why, why is it that Israel is so important? Um, so if we look at the, the religion of Judaism, we, we look at the Bible, we look at 
um, what happened in Judaism, the worship of the Jews. Before the, the, uh, Jesus presented himself as the Messiah, right? what system did they use? It was a sacrificial system. What does that mean? People brought sacrifices to the priests. The priests offered the sacrifice on the altar, right? To atone for the sins of the people. So it was a sacrifice. You brought your sacrifice to the priest. He, he sacrificed it to God for you to atone for your sins. So in the first century, many Jews went away from that system. They, they learned about Jesus. They understood, okay, we no longer need the sacrificial system because we have the true lamb. That we have the true sacrifice that took our place. They, they placed their faith in Christ. But then what happened as time went on with Judaism is a lot of them started to go backward. They, they were like, ah, I don't know. I don't know about the Jesus thing. I, I don't, was he really the savior? And, and they started to go back to that sacrificial system that they, they knew in the Old Testament. They, they trusted a system of works before they trusted Jesus. So there they are working their way back to heaven. What happened is Christians today face the same problem. You'd say, well, that's so funny. Why would they think that they can work their way to heaven? Like they, they had the offer of Jesus and they passed it up for, for a system of good works. Man, how often today do we hear people, like you ask the question, hey, do you know where you're going when you die? Yeah, I think I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. And, and there's this idea that the system of good works is what gets us to heaven Right? It's, it's the same idea that a lot of the, the Jews had of, yeah, well, I'm just going to work my way there. Because why? Because for them, it was like, man, I'm not doing anything if Jesus did it all. Like, what do I do? The message of Hebrews is this, right? That, that Christ is better than the Old Testament law. That Christ is better than any sacrificial system. That Christ is better than any good deed. That it's simply him that we're supposed to put our faith in, right? The author seeks to encourage the Jewish Christians. This is what he's doing in this, this chapter. He's encouraging the Jewish Christians to move ahead in their spiritual lives. Let go of whatever you're hanging on to, that sacrificial system that you're hanging on to, let go of it. Like whatever you're, whatever you're experiencing there, there is something greater. There's something better. The blessings that Jesus has are so much greater than anything that sacrificial system can offer. He is the only way. He's like, why are you settling for second best? You have the opportunity to know Christ and you're settling for this other system, second best. Think about it. How often do we settle for second best? How often, like I used this example in the first service, how often do we go to the buffet and get the food we like least? <laughs> you go to the buffet and you're like, I'm eating crab legs until I throw up. <laughs> you're like, I want what I like the most, and I'm going to eat as much of it as I possibly can. Nobody goes there and goes, yeah, I think I'll eat what I like second best. <laughs> no, you eat your favorite food because it is the best. Um, the, but when you go to the buffet and you eat that food, compared to the other food, the other food isn't bad. It's not saying that that other food there is, oh, it's all good. No, it's not bad. But why would you eat that when you have the one you like better? And that's what the message of Hebrews is, is that in the Old Testament, the system of laws wasn't bad. It wasn't that, oh, that is terrible. Like, it was okay. But, but the grace and freedom in Jesus was so far beyond that Old Testament law. He's like, why are you settling for second best? The, the um, salvation in Jesus far outweighs the Old Testament law. It doesn't compare. There's no reason. Why would you stick with the Old Testament law when you have this new option? 
when you can be truly saved by Jesus. Galatians 3.24 says, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. Right? So it's saying, now that faith has come, we, no longer, uh, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. All the Old Testament rules and regulations, um, we never, um, they were never given to save us. That's what he's saying here. Those laws were never given to save people, only to show the need for a savior. He's like, man, the Old Testament wasn't made to, to save you. It was to point you to the Savior that's coming. The, the law showed us that we were guilty before God and that we needed someone to save us, right? Good works alone could never save us. It was never meant to save us, never intended to save us. The way that the Old Testament law was never intended to save us, right? Why? Because we're all guilty before God and we all need Jesus. So why is faith in Jesus better than the Old Testament law? That's what Hebrews 1 is about. So it's about prophets and then it's about angels, because why? Because they held prophets and angels in such high esteem in Hebrew society. He was like, man, if you think they're great, here's why Jesus is better. So let's look at the first couple of verses to see what it says. Verse 1. It says, long ago, God spoke many times in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. So, so here's them holding the prophets in high esteem because God used the prophets to speak through. And at the end, it goes on to say, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So he's saying, man, the prophets were, God was speaking through the prophets, but the sun radiates God's own glory, right? So the, the cool thing about the Bible is that God has spoken. That's the wonderful truth of the Bible. That God's given us the truth. He hasn't left us on our own to try to figure life out. He gave us the Bible, the instructions for life. Um, you've probably heard this before. The Bible stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. So it's just, it, it's, it's guide to how do we live before we leave this earth? How are we supposed to live? How are we meant to live here on earth? Because you can live in a bunch of different ways, but we were intended to live one way. Right? The, throughout the first 4,000 years of mankind, God spoke to people through the prophets. That's why they were held to great esteem. The, the Jews revered their prophets because when they spoke, people took notice. They didn't always choose to follow what the, what the prophets said. They didn't always choose and, and follow exactly what they were saying. But people understood that they weren't speaking for themselves. That prophets weren't out to speak uh, for themselves, to, to glorify themselves. They were relating the very message of God, relaying God's message to the people because that's what the, they were trying to do. It wasn't about themselves. It was about God's message to the people. So they listened when the prophets spoke. So then you'd say, okay, the prophets are speaking the message of God. What could be better than that? Right? The problem is that the prophets only had glimpses of truth. They only had limited insight into what God was doing. Even though God was using them to speak, they couldn't see the full picture. In 1 Peter 1.11, Peter tells us this about the prophets. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached it in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is also so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. So Peter said the prophets were relaying the message of God, and they didn't often understand what the prophecies they were giving. They didn't understand what they were saying. They were like, I don't know. God's speaking through me. He's got this message, but don't ask questions. I don't know what he's saying. 
Right? Why? Because even though they were giving God's message, this message was for future people. They couldn't understand, well, man, what is God doing? Because they weren't the son of God. But in Jesus, we have a messenger who is the son of God, the, the direct connection to God. In the last days, God spoke to us through the son, right? Jesus is a personal res- revelation of the father. This is what Jesus said. Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Don't you believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am the Father and the Father is in me. Right? And then in another place, Jesus is recorded saying, I and the Father are one. So he's not a prophet that God is speaking through. He's saying, man, I am the Son of God. And then what happened when he said that? That the Jews picked up stones to stone him. Man, why? Because they understood his claim. They understood what he's saying. He was saying, I am God. What a claim. That goes beyond the prophets, right? Because the prophets were just mere men. They, they were just people relaying God's message. But in Jesus, God spoke to them in the flesh, speaking to us in the flesh. These verses remind us Jesus is the creator. He made the universe. He is the father's heir. One day he will rule over all of the nations of the world. He shows the glory of God. Right? Remember the tr- Mount of Transfiguration where, where he becomes as bright as a flash of lightning? Man, that is the representation of God. Yet the Old Testament system of rules and regulations were being reinforced by the prophets, men who spoke the messages of God. But, but Hebrews said, man, Jesus is so much better. Whatever the prophets say, whatever you guys revere about the prophets, like listen to Jesus first. Not that they were bad, but there's a new message coming from Jesus. He is the perfect embodiment of God. Don't put him after these prophets. Right? God has spoken, uh, chosen to speak to us through Jesus, not prophets. The author of Hebrews goes on in chapter 1 to tell us this. For God never said to any angel that what he said to Jesus. You are my son. Today I have become your father. God also said, I will be his father and he will be my son. And when he brought his supreme son into the world, God said, Let's all, let all of God's angels worship him. So now we get into the second part of this chapter. The first part talks about Jesus being greater than the prophets because they held the prophets to such high esteem that he's like, man, whatever you believe, Jesus is greater. And, and then we go into the second part of this chapter, which talks about angels. And it's the same thing. Why are we talking about angels? Because the Jews weighted angels very highly in their culture. They held Old Testament law in such high esteem because they saw all the rules and regulations being mediated by the angels. Um, We focus on Moses on Mount Sinai. That's what we focus on. It's Moses and God, the finger of God writing down the commandments. But, but the Hebrews focused on a different part of that. The Jews focused on the fact that the law came through the intervention of the angels at that time. Right? Galatians 3.19 says this, Why then was the law given? It, it was given alongside the promise to show people their sins, but the law was designed to only last until the coming child was promised. God gave his law through the angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Man, the angels played a big part in that. The mediator between God and the people. That, that's why they were, the angels were held to such high esteem. It, Acts 7.53 also says, You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. So the Jews held angels in very high esteem. They felt their old, 
um, Testament system of law came from angels. But in Hebrews, we understand, man, angels aren't the ones to be held to the high esteem. It's Jesus. Don't be holding angels above Jesus. Here in 114, we read this, Therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. So angels are servants of the Lord, but Jesus is the Son. In verse 4, it says, This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. What's his name? His name is Son. Then the author goes on to give several Old Testament quotes. Verse 5 says, For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son? Today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. That first part's a question. You are my, um, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Uh, oh, to which of the angels did he say that to? Like, did he ever go to the angels and say, You are my son? The answer is no. Why? Because the angels weren't the son of God, only Jesus. Now, for the seventh time in this chapter, the writer of Hebrews quotes the Hebrew scripture to demonstrate that Jesus is far superior to any angel. Uh, He quotes Psalm 110 here uh, to show again that God the Father said things of Jesus that he never said about angelic beings. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Nothing is to be held as high as him. Moving on, verse 6 says, but when he... When he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. So you're holding angels to high esteem. He's like, man, you guys, you guys see the angels as these mediators between God and the people. And you, and you hold them to such great esteem. You want to know how great Jesus is? The angels are bowing down to worship him. And Jesus is being worshiped by angels. Verse 7 continues, and the angels, uh, and of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? So once again, angels are servants of God, but Jesus is the son. They're worshiping Jesus. Um, verse 8 moves on to say, but to the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. So, so he's saying, man, It's just about Jesus' kingdom. The angels don't compare to Jesus' kingdom. Proverbs 34 says, Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name if you know? This was a question for the Jews. The, The first part, who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Right? If you ask one of the Jews in the day, what is the answer to that? Their answer was Jehovah or Elohim. Their, their names for God. But, but then the proverb continues at the end. It says, what is his name and what is his son's name, if you know? All throughout the Old Testament, the Jews knew they were looking for the Son of God. They, they knew he was supposed to be coming. And, and what happened is Jesus finally shows up, and they, they're so focused on worshiping the angels that they weren't worshiping the guy they were waiting for. Man, the sun is here, and they were still stuck worshiping the angels. Here in Hebrews, we're reminded that Jesus is far superior to the Old Testament law. The the Old Testament rules and regulations, the do's and the don'ts, right? What happened with those? They showed people their sin. 
They, they showed, okay, this is what you're supposed to be doing. You're not following it. You're not doing this. They showed the sin, but they weren't forgiving the sin. Only Jesus did that. Jesus came on the scene and he forgave the sins of the people that were being pointed out by the Old Testament law. And then the question is given of how should we escape, right? How, how should we escape our sins? How do we stop living this repetitive life of sin? And Hebrews 1 is very clear. It's only through Jesus, right? If the Jews paid attention to the Old Testament law mediated by angels, like they paid close attention to that. Man, it's the angels meeting between God and the people. If they're paying that close attention to that, then how much closer attention should they, should they be paying to the words of Jesus, right? Here in John 3, 3, it says this about salvation. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It is confirmed uh, to us by those who heard it in Acts 4, 12. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved, right? This is the truth we believe as a church. It is only under the name of Jesus that we are saved. No, no good works, no angels, no, no other being, no prophet. Like we're not saved by anybody other than Jesus. Luke reminds us that no other name. We're not saved by anything else. Um, but this is the truth, right? That Jesus is greater than any Old Testament prophet. He's better than any angel, even better than Michael the archangel. Jesus is greater than them all. He's the very son of God. Right? So, so you say, okay, who should, who should be leading my life? You gonna, are we going to listen to men or are we going to listen to the very Son of God? And, and that's what he's trying to relate to the Hebrews here of like, man, you have the opportunity to listen to the Son of God or mere men. Like, don't pass this opportunity. It says this in John 14, 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Right? You're, you may be here today because it's the day you come to church. It's Sunday. This is church day. Last night was Saturday night service. Some people go on Saturday night. That's the day they decide to go to the church. You, you might say, oh, I'm a good person. I, I go to church on Sunday. I'm a good person. You might believe the Bible. You might believe in God. Does that stuff matter if you don't believe in Jesus? Because there's a lot of societies that would say, oh, I believe in God. But if they don't know Jesus, are they truly saved? Because without being saved by grace, being a good person, we're just living the Old Testament law. How am I earning my way to heaven? Right? So, so this is it. Jesus is everything. The only answer. The rest of it doesn't matter without him. And a lot of times, it's really hard to wrap our mind around this. Okay, God, I, I'm giving you everything, but I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing in my life. I, you're making my decisions, and I, I wish that I knew exactly what you were doing. I, knew what, I wish I knew what my timeline looks like. I've been waiting for a job, and it's not happening. Why are, like, I just wish I knew everything. Charles Spurgeon understood that we're not going to understand everything. He said this, Deity is not to be explained, but to be adored. And the sonship of Christ is to be accepted as a truth of revelation, to be apprehended by faith, though it cannot be comprehended by the understanding. He's like, man, just accept this as truth of revelation. Put your trust in Christ and adore him. Just adore him. Don't tr stop trying to guess. Stop trying to understand everything he's doing. Stop trying, like, he'll do it. Just stop trying, like, he's like, you're not going to comprehend the understanding. Just put your trust in him, right? Coming to church doesn't make us a Christian. Being a good person doesn't take away our sins. What, why do we, why would we say, man, I wish I could earn my way to heaven? Because we have a better understanding of that. 
oh, if I, I, if I knew I could do this, then like, no, that's not how it works. We're not going to understand. It's simply by putting our faith in Jesus, adoring him and say, okay, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm here for it. I, I'm here because I'm, I'm done messing up. I'm ready for you to just do it all. Right? We, we can only be saved from the penalty of our sin by placing our faith in Jesus. That's the good news of this chapter. This is the good news of chapter one, right? We might not have the answers. That's kind of scary. Oh, I'm probably not going to comprehend what he's doing some of the time. It's okay. That's the good news, right? We can find complete forgiveness in a changed life once we ask him for forgiveness. And as far as I'm concerned, that's way easier. Once you take your hands off, okay, Lord, you're doing this. We can stop stressing. Romans 10.13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right? It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your past. doesn't matter what you're actively doing. If you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Um, which brings us back to the beginning of this chapter, um, which is just simply that Jesus is greater. This was the message that the author was trying to to relay that whatever you're going through, whoever you hold to high esteem, whether it be prophets or angels or, or maybe it's your problems, Jesus is greater than all of it. And so for us, we're looking, okay, 2,000 years later, what is the message today of Hebrews chapter 1? We might not have held angels or prophets to higher esteems than Jesus, but are we holding other things higher than him? right? He's greater than any problem we're currently facing. He's greater than any struggle we currently have. Maybe some of you are just stressed. You're like, man, the stress is crippling my life. Maybe you're like me and you have taxes due on Tuesday and you haven't started yet. <laughs> and you're like, ah, all right, well, I'll get to it. Maybe it's family issues. Maybe you're like, man, I, my family is falling apart. My life is crashing down around me and, and it's crippling me and it's taken all of my energy this chapter is saying is Jesus is greater. Whatever it is you're going through, whatever, whatever your primary focus is right now, Jesus is greater, right? Sometimes the things we prioritize aren't inherently bad, right? Maybe they're not actually that bad, but we're putting them before Jesus. Yeah, angels are real. Angels are performing an important service for God. They, they had a purpose. They're his agents. Angels have a place in the kingdom, but it doesn't mean that they were supposed to be focusing on them rather than focusing on the main man. The message to us is don't be sidetracked by, by important but lesser matters, right? Whether it be angels or work or even family. And you'd say, well, family, that's, that's ridiculous. Like, isn't family first? Like, you guys teach all the time about the importance of family being together. Yeah, that's true. But are we being sidetracked, right? Because if we look, there's a lot of Christians being sidetracked by the worship of their families. Uh, how many times have you heard somebody say, hey, hey, are you going to church this morning? Oh, actually, Sunday's our family day. Great, you're spending time with your family. But, but we used to say that Sunday was the time set apart for the Lord, and that was God's day. And now we focus on, well, I'm going to spend time with my family because it's important my family's together. Right? If it fits in with my family's schedule, then I'll, I'll come and spend time with the Lord. But, but if it's not convenient, then, then what are we doing? Right? If, if we're setting apart time for God, just if it's convenient for us, 
Who are we putting first? Doesn't mean spending time with your family is bad. I, I will encourage all of you, spend as much time with your family as you can. But if it's getting in the way of you spending time with God, all that's going to happen is your family is going to have problems because God is not at the center. Um, so what I'm driving at really here is it's really easy to lose the primary focus and to begin focusing on the secondary issues. To, to begin focusing on secondary matters. This was the issue of what he was addressing here. He's like, whatever you're focusing on, a lot of you are following Old Testament law. He's like, that's not bad. It's not inherently bad, but it's a secondary issue because Jesus comes first. So that that's, gets to our question. Are, are we allowing Jesus to have a superior place in our life? Are we allowing Jesus to come before all of that stress, all of those issues that we're facing, the anxiety in our life, our mental problems? Or, or are we putting Jesus before um, marital issues? Or, or like, if we're not placing Jesus at the center, then we're trying to do it ourselves. And if we're trying to do it ourselves, I, I was saying in the first service, it, it'd be like calling um, a repairman. Your, your sink is leaking, right? It, some of you have probably gone through this. You have a leaky sink. You're like, oh, that's not that hard. I'll fix it. And then four days later, you're like, oh, that's not that hard. I'll fix it. And it's still there and it's not fixed. Why? Because you don't know how to fix it. So what do you do on day four? You call somebody, hey, my, my sink is leaking. And Google said that you know how to fix this. And they show up and in an hour, they're like, oh, your sink is good. They fix in an hour what you were trying to fix for four days. Why? Because they understood the job they were doing. And a lot of us, that's how our lives are. We, we try to fix things ourselves. Oh, I'm going through something right now, but I can do it. I, I know what the, the solution is. And, and we spend days or weeks or even years trying to fix these problems ourselves that, that God knows the answer to. Like, why, why go through all of the struggle trying to do it alone? And Jesus is the free repair man. Doesn't call, like, to call him is free. Like, why are we spending years trying to figure this stuff out ourselves when we can call him for free and get the right answer, right? Because without Jesus being first, none of the other stuff will be in order. You could say, oh, Sundays are for our family day. We set aside for family day. Well, if Jesus isn't at the center, if Jesus isn't the one leading your family, you're going to have to keep having family day because it's going to have problems. You're going to say, oh, we're having another family day because we're not getting along. Well, because that's because Jesus isn't at the center. Set him first and then have a family day and say, man, Jesus is the guy leading our life. He is the God of our life. And the only reason our family is together is because of him. And those family problems you're having, whatever you're trying to fix by having a Sunday family day will be fixed by Jesus. So that's the message of Hebrews chapter one. Jesus is greater. Are we setting him first? Or are we setting secondary issues before him? Because a lot of times we like to fix things ourselves, or we look at these issues and go, man, I don't, can Jesus really fix that? I had somebody come up to me after the first service and ask for a prayer. And she's like, this, this might seem silly to ask for. It's like, that's not silly. Like God, God wants to fix these problems. If you're asking for the desires of his heart, he wants to fix them. So, so how much greater is he than anything going on in our lives? He wants to fix everything. He is greater than all of it. Like, so if, if the Old Testament, if they're holding the angels and the prophets to such high esteem, and, and the author's saying, man, Jesus is so much greater than them. How much greater are the angels and prophets than the things going on in our life? So if Jesus is greater than them, like, 
he should be infinitely greater than anything we're facing. Yet sometimes we still place him second. So the band could come back up as we close. Um, so as, as we, after we pray um, and we do this last song, um, Sue, could you come up to the front for prayer while we're doing the last song? Just, I, I want to give a time. Um, I'll be over here to pray with people. If you want prayer, if you're like, man, I, I've, I've been making Jesus second. Maybe you didn't realize until this morning, you're like, I've been facing this problem for weeks. And, and I didn't know how to fix it. But I've been trying to do it myself. I, I've been trying to think of every solution on my own. How can I fix this? And then you just came to the realization of, I need to stop doing this myself. I, it's... Jesus is greater than all of it. Why am I going through the pain of trying to figure this out myself when I can just give it to him? He is greater than all of it, the Son of God. So if that's you and you're like, man, I just need prayer. Like, I, I need to make Jesus first. I need to set my priorities straight. I've been putting other things before him. Just come get prayer at the front. We'll have people to pray with you during the last song. Um, and just, yeah, if we're not putting Jesus first, then, then we're going to be struggling. We're going, to be, we're going to be going, man, I, I don't know what the answer is. It's always Jesus. So, so stop, let's stop setting him second and just realize this is the message. He's greater. Chapter 1, I love that it starts chapter 1 as just showing the glory of God because it sets up the rest of Hebrews. Like, okay, now we know Jesus is greater. And now, okay, we're going to go into the rest of it knowing his greatness and that it's all about him. So let's pray. Father, thank you for, for giving us a clear message, not, not some hidden message that we have to decipher, but, but just that your son is greater, that it was all about the sacrifice of Jesus, that none of us are good enough, that nobody's stepping in this room. If we stepped in this room this morning and go, man, I, I don't deserve this. None of us do. I, I just pray that you would open our hearts and our ears to, to understand that you're calling us. That, that you have a greater plan, a greater desire for our life than to just get through. That it's not about just making it through life and then life ends, but, but you actually have a plan for each one of us, that you have a gift for each one of us. And I pray that if we're not exploring that gift this morning, if we haven't been chasing after what you want for our life, that, that we would start that desire this morning. Man, I just want to figure out what it is that God's calling me for. I want to figure out what greater purpose Jesus has for my life because it's got to be greater than just getting through, right? He, he has a, a special gift and special fruit for each one of us. So, so if we're not digging into the Bible and, and getting into the word, we're missing out on a big part of, of being a Christian. We're missing out on a big part of, of what it means to, to live for Jesus. So I, so I just, I, I pray that we would um, be open to, to the gifts that you have for us, that we would be open to to just putting your message first, um, that everything else would become secondary, that everything else, um, even though it's important, that it's only important if we're putting you first, that you're going to be the one guiding our decisions and guiding our, um, our process of how we do things. If we're trying to lead our family, for the men in this room, if we're trying to lead our family, man, let Jesus lead it. Like, we don't have to, like, we don't have all the answers. Man, family problems are tough. We don't have all of the answers of how to fix it, but Jesus does. So, so let's just lay it down to him this morning. So, um, Lord, we just pray and thank you for your goodness and your grace.
and um, that you care so much about each one of us, that you have us here on this Sunday morning to hear your word, that you gave us Hebrews chapter one to show the greatness of your son, that we would stop living for ourselves and start living for you, Father. So, so I thank you um, so much for how much you care about each one of us, that, that you sacrificed your son on the cross so that we could be saved, that, that we would be good people. We would be made right in your eyes. So, so I thank you for your love and for your mercy. And uh, yeah, I just thank you for this, the, this community that, that loves you and that, that cares so much about, um, about following the Son. So thank you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
their sinners fall. He is our